This is The Adam Ritz Show, a public affairs talk show touching on community, health, foundations, and more. The Adam Ritz Show is underwritten by Vibonomics, an audio out-of-home advertising marketplace and audio experience company. Info at Vibonomics.com. And now, from the Vibonomics studios, please welcome your public affairs radio host, Adam Ritz. Happy New Year. It's The Adam Ritz Show. My name is Adam Ritz, and we are on our way to 2025. Believe it or not, Jay Baker joining me. Uh, are you ready for 2025 yet? I know it's only a, a week or so into 24. Well, I just learned to write 2024 on any type of legal document and or check, but I will prepare myself for 2025. It's it's odd to think how uh, how fast time is flying. Uh, it seemed to be a phenomenon when uh, when I was younger that only the uh, the adults seemed to uh, notice. But now I, I have young well not they're not that young anymore. But when my kids were in their early teens, even they recognized how fast time was flying. So I don't know oh, if it's yes. just the fast paced world that every generation's living in now. Uh, the screen time, the internet, social media, whatever it is. For everybody, you don't have to be middle-aged or older to notice that the years are just flying off the calendar. So, Happy New Year, Jay. I wanted to start this show by talking about New Year's resolutions. A lot of people make oh, them. 38% of us make New Year's resolutions each year. Uh, but guess how many uh, keep to them for the entire year? The entire year, I'd peg it at about 15%. How close am I? That's not a bad guess, really. It's 9%. <laughs> so uh-huh. you were a little optimistic uh, with humanity. Only nine percent of us stick to our uh, resolutions all year long. I, I admit, I, I'm, you know, I do the I do the common eat better, healthy habits. That's the most common resolution, by the way, to eat healthier or lose some weight and get healthier. Uh, after that, that trifecta of Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, all the calories. Uh, I do the Healthy Habits New Year's resolutions, and I do stick to it until the following Halloween. (laughs) Ah, yes. (laughs) So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. The reason I have my resolution is because of the three-month calorie fest from uh, October on, and then I have to do the resolution uh, come January. 80% of New Year's resolutions are forgotten by February. (laughs) Well, that's going to happen. Now, I've always heard there are some uh, techniques, if you will, that can make it so that you might be more inclined to keep your resolution. Uh, you know, here's a, a technique I just learned today uh, when uh, I had a, a business meeting and uh, one, we were talking about resolutions and uh, one of the members of the meeting said that his resolution was to get up earlier this year, and he means like 5 a.m. He doesn't want to just get up ah. 10 minutes earlier. He uh, says he usually gets up gets up around 7.45 or has around 7.45, and he wants to be the 5 a.m. guy. So what he's going to do is, starting January 1st, he's been getting up five minutes earlier every day. So that's his tip and technique. If you wanted to get up earlier this year, don't just set your clock for 5 a.m. and think you're going to get up three hours earlier tomorrow. Uh, maybe inch into it because when you get up that early, you're going to have to go to bed earlier too. Sure. And your body will have to adjust to that three-hour time swing. So if you're used to going to bed at midnight and getting up at 8, and now you want to get up at 5, 
I mean, you're going to have to go to bed around 9, 9.30. So right. uh, maybe you're not tired by 9, but you will be like that frog in the boiling water if you just get up five minutes earlier every day. That means, of course, you'd go to bed five minutes earlier that night. And then the next thing you know, uh, you're into February and you're getting up at 5 a.m. And you're not quitting like uh, 80% of the resolution right. do. Um, well, and this is what I've always heard, too. If you can get an accountability uh, project going of any kind, whether you share it with friends, relatives, or you post it on social media, you get other people to sort of help you stay accountable. You hit the nail right on the head. Accountability is a big, big part of any life change. Um, with the healthy habits, I know we've done these health, these weight loss challenges at work. And, you know, they take five months to do. And if you were going to try to lose some weight and get healthier over five months, you're less likely to stick with it than if you would have, you know, thrown 10 bucks into the pot and you're in it with 12 other people from work and the winner gets the pot. Uh, even if you don't win, your body wins when you've, you know, shed some pounds and got sure. your heart rate a little healthier. So, yeah, absolutely. The accountability is huge. And, like you said, with social media, if you start posting about your New Year's resolutions and then in February you're not posting anymore, everybody you know knows <laughs> knows that you've quit. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, and you probably know, too, you probably need to keep some of your goals in ultra-realistic uh, parameters because I have bumped into people who want to completely reinvent themselves for this upcoming year. And I just don't view that as realistic. It, it isn't realistic. There's not some magic uh, occurrence. You know, if you look at Ryan Seacrest and the ball drop, and all of a sudden you're going to change every single thing about your life uh, and you're going to stick with it, that's not realistic. And that will get you to the quit column faster for sure. So uh, that's great advice, Jake. Keep your goals realistic. Because then, if you know, if you, if you get the goal, and it's and you and you feel right. like you could go farther than the next year or six months later. Up the goal, up the ante. Oh, absolutely. Um, move the goalpost, uh, and then you won't be one of the eighty percent that. Uh, and I love how they phrase this: forgets their resolutions by February. Yes. Uh, and if you do happen to quit your resolution, the most popular day of the week, and this is a little predictable, <laughs> the most popular day of the week to forget your resolution is on Friday. <laughs> ah, imagine that. <laughs> so if you've decided that you want to be early morning guy and get up at 5 a.m. and lose some weight, uh, chances are on Friday you're going to sleep till noon and eat a whole pizza. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, the most successful guy I ever met in my life, and I was never able to totally follow up on his advice because why should I? I'm, I'm in broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs> but his point was well taken. He said, people create these goals that are perhaps unattainable. But he said, if you took the top five things that you wanted to change in your life, and instead of thinking of complete overhauling of your life, if you increased each one of these goals by 5%, he goes, you'd be miles ahead of anybody else in your life. And his point taken was, uh, you weigh 250 and you want to weigh 175. 
he said, that's a lot of weight to lose. But he goes, if you're 250 and you lose 5% of that, he goes, you're going to be miles ahead. And I thought that was point well taken. Yeah. And very realistic. Uh, you know, it's, yes. losing weight's the hardest thing to do when you, when you, in a mindset, when you don't see the number change, it's hard to, right. it's hard to keep the healthy habits, uh, go to the gym, put down the donut when you're not seeing the number move. So if you're, if you've got some enormous number you've set, you're setting yourself up for failure. That's a, I love that. If you were just 5% better in every category of your life, yes. 5% is attainable in anything. And yes. if, if you did five percent increase in five cat in five or ten categories, my gosh, you're you're that you'd sleep better, you'd you'd wake up more well rested, you'd uh, have better social skills. I mean, it all feeds into each other. That's a I, I'm gonna, I love that. I've never really heard that. I it, obviously it yeah, wasn't he, me. I thought at first it. I thought you were gonna say your most successful friend. I thought you were talking about something I told you. It it wasn't me, and I've never heard that before. So it obviously wasn't me. I'm it wasn't to, you. I'm going to apply. <laughs> Thanks for saying that with such vigor. No, sorry. It was, <laughs> it was not you. It was not you. I'm applying but that no. to my life this year in 2024. I'm not going to be – you don't have to be uh, Iron Man or Tony Stark or be a hero. You just have to improve 5% in several categories, yeah. and you'll be better. I like that. Yeah, his point was the, they called it the 5% rule, and they said some of the most successful people – in our society ascribed by the 5% rule because they say it's nice to change, but change in a way that sort of fits in with your lifestyle. And part of the example of that was I'm always late to work. And many of us can say, yeah, I cut it a little close. Yeah, I drive a little too fast. The 5% rule just said, just subscribe to being more on time, two of five days, and you'll be so much better off. Now, you don't have to say his name, but I know, do I know this friend of yours? <laughs> no, you probably don't. He actually is kind of a famous guy who retired early from a very big corporation in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. I'll, I'll freely share his name offline just because he probably doesn't want okay. too much credit for this idea because it is uh, another author's credit. But uh, I thought his point was very well taken. He just said, look, I work for a big company. They expect big results. But he said, I have found that just improving five areas, 5% every year at the top of the year will just serve huge dividends. And he was correct. And what you don't want to do is get 5% worse in every category yes. this year. <laughs> well, and that's you and I. Yeah, if you're heading in that direction, then maybe your resolution is just to maintain. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, one of my favorite guys of all time, because I love the fact that he is so down to earth, his ability to make money for himself and others is unparalleled, and then his ideas about philanthropy are quite good, I am talking about none other than Warren Buffett, and he leads the list. The Chronicle of Philanthropy creates an annual list each year. They tracked all the charitable donations of 2023, and many groups received the benefit. Uh, believe it or not, charitable donations last year, and these are amazing figures, and we always talk about how much was given uh, amongst the 
very top wage earners, they gave $3.5 billion in 2023. That's, uh, is there a number of how many people that is? Or that's the, well, the there's a bunch of people in this list. I'm only going to give you number one because that's the only guy I researched. So I apologize. No, that's fine. The usual group of billionaires is mm-hmm. on that list. But the number one guy, Warren Buffett. And he's sort of been my hero. He gave away 1.5 million shares of Berkshire Hathaway Class B stock, which was valued at 300. No, I take that back. Five hundred and forty-one and a half million dollars. <laughs> so there you go. Well, let's hope in uh, next year or this year, rather, he he increases that by five percent. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but yes, I, I kind of I follow Warren Buffett closely because I've read several books about his life. I think he's a very interesting fellow. He has probably earned a lot more money than some of the you know, standard, if you will, internet millionaires. But he has also created, along with Bill Gates, a philanthropy project where they give away as much of their money as possible. In fact, it's funny, you would think, well, if I was the child of Bill Gates or the child of Warren Buffett, I'd be extraordinarily rich uh, inheritance-wise. But both of those gentlemen have pledged 90% 90% of their fortune to philanthropy. It's unbelievable. We've talked about yeah. that in past shows. It's the, the giving pledge uh, is what yes. these billionaires uh, encourage each other to do, to give away 90% of their wealth. Um, so you would say you're a, a Warren Buffett um, aficionado, would you not? You've yes. read his books. And, so help me out. I, you know, I know Bill Gates made his fortune through Microsoft and computers. What was Warren Buffett's, uh, how'd he do it? Well, you'll appreciate this. And uh, the gentleman I'm going to mention actually has a book out. Uh, who This gentleman recently passed away well into his 90s, had an outstanding life. His name was Charlie Munger. And Charlie's dad taught him a lot about finance during the Great Depression. And Charlie and uh, our very good friend Warren Buffett learned much of their finances from the following uh, the, the the following principle. They said that what happens is is that, and this is going to sound a little gross, but it's honest. They said during the Great Depression. Guys would walk through the city, smoke a cigar, and once they got to a certain point, they'd throw it to the ground. Now, for a rich guy, that cigar has zero value. It's somebody else was smoking it. It's been thrown to the ground. But a gentleman who's very down on his luck looks at it as, hey, there's still 20% of that cigar or 15% of that cigar left over. I'm just going to pick it up off the ground, and here's the gross part, and I'm going to finish it off. Well, Charlie and Warren used to try to find stocks that people had stopped seeing value in, but still had what they called utility. And that's why they invested a lot of money in things like real estate and uh, transportation. In fact, famously, Uh, Berkshire Hathaway owns a couple of railroads. So they would find uh, utility or value, if you will, in stocks that people had given up on. You know, 
I I love hearing how the rich make their money because it gives oh, me sure. Hope. You know, maybe one of these ideas I have someday might turn out to be make a dollar. If yes. Warren Buffett can do it, we can all do it. Well, and then you and I have chatted about a little bit on this show. Uh, there used to be an old phrase that said the elevator to success is out of order, but there's plenty of steps to take to get to the top floor. And it just boils down to hard work. Now, I know not everybody wants to hear that. It's going to sound like a lecture, but hard work is kind of the way you get to the top of anything you're working on. The elevator would be nice, though, once in a while. If that well, elevator would door be. would open, that would be nice. Yes, it would be. I know when I visit you at uh, your office, you have a nice elevator. So I would say that you are correct. And I do take the stairs once in a while. Yes, absolutely. So that's your philanthropic report. Let's go on okay. to some other things. Health experts say that sleeping naked can promote a good night's rest. So... Uh, this is always a controversy. Do you wear old sweats? Do you wear pajamas? Do you just go in there the way you were when you came into the planet? Uh, what say you, Adam? Well, uh, keep in mind, I have daughters. And uh, so through their life, they're both out of the house now, well into their 20s. So uh, I find it um, cumbersome. And I, you know, you know how I feel about hoops, jumping through sure. hoops. There's just... I hate jumping through hoops when you don't have to jump through hoops. So to to get uh, dressed to go to bed seems like a hoop that I don't want to jump through. So I uh, now that my kids are out of the house, I do uh, sleep as God intended me to sleep <laughs> in my birthday Well, there suit. you go. And that sure, way, too, yeah. in the morning when I get up, I don't have to disrobe to then get dressed again. No, point well taken. It just taken. seems You're more probably, efficient to me. You even save in laundry because you don't need to launder the clothes that yep. you sleep in. Yep. Well, here's what's funny. On top of potentially sleeping completely without any clothing on, they say that you might want to cool your bedroom between 60 and 67 degrees. And that's a lot cooler, I think, than the average person sets their thermostat. That, that just sounds downright freezing to me. That's cold. <laughs> it does. Yeah, so there you go. So a couple of things to bear in mind. You want to might set the thermostat a little lower. And yes, uh, sleeping without clothes allows your body to cool much quicker. But as Adam pointed out, if you need to jump out of bed and take care of somebody or jump out of bed and answer the front door. <laughs> yeah. You might want to wear some clothing to bed. Now I do, I do the, uh, some clothing when my, my youngest daughter, uh, she still comes home and has her bedroom. So when she's, when she's home and sleeps in her bed, I am not, uh, in my birthday suit. Well, absolutely. And I think, uh, daughters refer to it as, naked dad syndrome it could result in years of psychiatric evaluation <laughs> to avoid therapy uh, yes wear something to bed to save money in the long run uh now adam you have probably heard of this concept dry january oh yeah we just talked about that today oh good uh, with a friend of mine yeah in the office uh, she's partaking in dry january go ahead well, it's interesting. Dry January is a concept 
Many people are very familiar with it on social media. And last year, 41% of surveyed U.S. adults plan to not drink during the first month of the year. But as you might imagine, sticking with it is not the easiest thing in the world. So if you participate in dry January in an attempt to, let's say, go completely off alcohol, and we never make a judgment on this show. We know that, you know, alcohol used in moderation is sort of a, a fallback for many Americans. But uh, uh, yeah, 40 per, 41% last year said that they actively participated in dry January. Now, out of that 41%, only about 16% uh, actually stuck to uh, zero alcohol moving forward. I am shocked that the number's that high, 16%. That's a fairly large chunk of people that that are uh, you know quitting. They are they're abstaining. They're they're going to quit drinking for good. That is a, well, a much higher number than I thought you were going to say. Well, only 16%, yeah, said that they'd completely give it up. Now, you and I know the motivation to attempt dry January uh, could uh, be anything from as simple as I'd like to drink less to people who say, I need to stop drinking altogether. Now, this year, it's kind of interesting. Uh, it's more popular for people to engage in dry January because in the past, people may or may not have had some anxiety, but the tides are kind of turning. You and I, Adam, grew up in an era of uh, happy hours and, you know, sales at liquor stores and all kinds of things. But uh, America is slowly but surely becoming more aware uh, that it is acceptable to not drink alcohol. It really was a different time, and I think if, for a recent example, um, you and I worked together at a radio conglomerate at the end of the 90s, and our holiday parties were outrageous. Oh, yes. They were open bar, and there wasn't one thought of the company offering free taxi rides. So, you know, the more responsible members of the radio station would go in together on a limousine or maybe maybe carpool but it was not uncommon for people just to drive to the party have drinks drive home i mean that was like that can you imagine that today that is unheard of today so my holiday oh, party with the radio station this year we we had an activity uh at a restaurant and i think you got two drink tickets that was it so not open bar and then the the company offered free uber rides for everybody to get there and get home that's so, not a bad so, idea so not only was there no alcohol um abuse uh no one over drank there, there there was nobody driving anyway so it, times have changed you are absolutely right no you are correct and and as you well know companies used to be able to state their alcohol policies as somewhat vague hoping that everything would turn out. But you and I know with litigation being the way it is, you probably can't do that. Like you said, probably the safest and highest road you can take is, yeah, a couple of drinks. But even if those couple of drinks hit you hard, here's your safe ride home. 
So with dry January that you brought up, two things jumped to mind. One, it ties in with uh, the New Year's resolutions we were talking about. When you when you want to get healthier, have healthier habits, it's maybe the easiest way to drop some some pounds. If you oh yes, if you are a regular drinker, uh, a couple of beers, a couple of drinks, um, once or twice a week, maybe more. Those are the that's the epitome. When you hear the term empty calories, that is the epitome of empty calories. So if you go dry in January, there are uh, four figure calorie counts that you are not putting in your in your body for the month. So you can drop some weight, but um, also uh, it, you figure like the way I look at uh, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas with all the cookies and candy and calories, the same could be said of drinking. There's a lot of parties oh, yes. in there. There's a lot of acti- social activity uh, from from Halloween parties to New Year's Eve. There is a lot of alcohol that your, your body might need a break from come January. Now, that 16% you said that stick with it and actually quit drinking altogether, I bet a large number of people that participate in dry January don't do it with the thought of, I'm going to quit drinking forever. They right. just get to the end of the month and think, wow, this month was great. I didn't have one hangover. I didn't waste money at the bar. I didn't get into fights with my family or my spouse. Um, I'm performing better at my job. I'm getting up earlier. And the older you get, the easier it is to see those benefits versus the fun you may think you're going to miss out on by not having Correct. a drink. So that's point very well taken I, I, on this. I do know a few people that have done a dry January just to try it or just because heck, maybe the hangover was just so bad January first, they're like, Oh, I'm never drinking again. How many times have you heard her say that? I'm never drinking again. And then, you know, by January sixth, they're like, Well, you know what, I might as well do this dry, dry the dry January thing I've heard of. It's our, we're already a fourth of the way through the month. And then all of a sudden by the end of the month, they're like, Well, that was pretty easy. And I feel great. All right. I'm just, and then all of a sudden a month goes by, another six months goes by, another two years goes by, and you haven't had a drink in a few years. No, your point is very well taken. And how often, like you said, we associate the holidays with sort of overindulgence. And then the other side of that is if you step away from that, you go, I am performing in a much better capacity. It's much healthier to never, ever drink. In the meantime, you might say, well, drinking in moderation works for most people, but you are correct. There's a certain degree of people that operate so much better without alcohol. Yeah, well, for everyone uh, participating in dry January, we wish you the best of luck, and uh, maybe you'll continue it uh, come February 1st. Yeah, absolutely. And part of this comes down to finances. As you just said, you go to a company party, you go to a social function, you may or may not have to pay for the drinks, but alcohol is expensive. And now they have proven, I thought this was an interesting article. We have done some stories on how the rising interest rates and rising home prices have kind of conspired against the U.S. uh, consumer. But now a national real estate company says that most Americans cannot afford to buy homes listed for sale in the USA. And that's a sobering prospect. A report from Redfin 
last week looked at listings from the top 97 metropolitan areas and found only 15% of the homes for sale were affordable for the average U.S. family. So these are literally numbers laid on top of numbers. And I think that's a chilling statistic. It, it, it is. And I've seen it. Uh, Melissa and I have been looking. And every year that goes by, a house that we're like, well, maybe we should have got that one. A year later, it is valued like six figures more, which scares yes. us because now the houses that we're looking at are getting more and more expensive. And we kind of feel like we lost our window. And you keep saying to yourself, well, maybe the, the pendulum will swing and the prices will stabilize or come down, and they're not. So with your statistic that half of Amer- over half of Americans cannot afford the average home price in America. Well, the scary thing is it's an even bigger number. 15% of the houses are affordable. Last year, it was 20%. So as you said, it's going down about 5% each year. That's kind of scary. That, that is scary. Uh, we better move. Better get this done quick. <laughs> there you go. And real quick, I know we're getting close to the end here. Yep. But one reason uh, could be that homes are in short supply. Realtor.com said that the number of homes for sale last year was down about 20% compared to last year so less inventory higher prices if you want to buy a home hold on tight all right jay thank you so much Uh, everyone happy dry january good luck with your resolutions and we'll see you next time the adam ritz show is recorded live in studio at the vibonomics worldwide headquarters learn more about the vibonomics audio out of home marketplace at vibonomics.com For information on this broadcast, including past on-demand episodes, interview submissions, and syndication contacts, visit adamritzshow.com.